Ready to make a difference in the lives of fathers and their families? The Show Up Dad podcast empowers the next generation of dads to lead with confidence and love. Your support and our amazing partners help us to create lasting impact. Consider donating 50, 100, or 250 to provide a dad with essential resources. And speaking of incredible partners, let us introduce you to Tallman Equipment. Since 1952, Tallman Equipment has been standing taller than the rest of competition in lineman tools. They provide top quality equipment and solutions for linemen, ensuring safety and efficiency on the job. If you're in need of reliable and durable tools, look no further than Tallman Equipment. Also, don't forget to check out our online shop at theshowupshop.myshopify.com for high quality products that support our cause. From t-shirts and hoodies, stickers, and even children's clothes, we have something for everyone. Not only will we be showing your support for our cause, but you'll also be getting a high quality product that you'll love. To learn more about what we do, visit theshowupdadfoundation.org. You can also find Lyman Tools at tallmanequipment.com. Thank you for your generosity, and let's empower dads and build stronger families. Welcome to the Show Up Dad podcast, where we bring you inspiring stories of resilience, strength, and fatherhood. Today, we have a very special guest joining us, Paul Lamar Hunter. Paul's upbringing was marked by challenges such as poverty, neglect, and tragedy. Paul has emerged as a beacon of hope, breaking barriers and defying odds. Join us as we delve into this remarkable journey, exploring the power of love, determination, and the transformative role of fatherhood. Prepare to be inspired by Paul Lamar Hunter's story on this episode of the Show Up Dad podcast. Welcome to our show, brother. Hey, thank you for having me on. I am excited. I am thrilled to be on your podcast because I believe deep in my heart that my story will transform people's lives once they discover my background and where I've been and where I'm going in society today. Well, let's start right there, Paul. Um, I know you got a tremendous story for our audience, and uh, that's why I wanted you on here, man, and it's an honor. So let's get started with it, brother. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, like you um, stated in my my bio, uh, Mm -hmm. born and raised in the city of Racine, Wisconsin. And let me tell you this. My mother is the first woman to birth 21 natural children by my dad. Let me repeat that. My mother is the first woman to birth 21 children by my dad. As of today, 17 of us living today, 63 grandchildren and 87 great grandchildren. So I have a football team. I have a basketball team. I have a soccer team. So, hey, matter of fact, I have an army. <laughs> <laughs> Man, 21 children. Wow, dude. That's got to be some sort of record. That's crazy. It, it is it, it is amazing because uh, I'm not a math person, mm-hmm. but I'm a critical thinker. So I had to sit down one day and say, okay, my mother birthed 21 children. How many years did it take her to birth those children? 15 straight years. Now, listen to this. He has won more championships than Michael Jordan, Shaquille O'Neal, Magic Johnson, Kareem Abdul, 
because she was having babies back to back to back to back to back to back for 15 straight years. And do you know what that does to a woman's body and what it takes to birth 21 children? And believe me, it takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of determination. It takes vision. You understand it? It takes Mm -hmm. hope. It takes love. But it also takes a whole community because I was born in 1970. And and, and my generation is totally different from the past generation. So it took a village to raise us, which is Mm -hmm. the Hunter family. Man, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, things are way different back then. Um, Did your mother come from a big family? Is that what, what she always wanted or... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> my my mother came from a family of nine okay. and i remember growing up my mom used to always say whatever god gives her mm-hmm. she's going to take it if god gave her 10 children she was going to take it but she was going to have as many children as possible until god says it's enough and i get i, I think god just rang down on her and said louise Abby, Hunter, it's enough with 21. <laughs> mm. So so 21 is the lucky number. And uh, that was it for my mom was 21 amazing children. And we all came out healthy, strong, and beautiful. All from the same father too, right? You guys are all... all- all by the same father. And I, and, and I, and I know I'm dealing with a um, conservative show, but man, that was a lot of sex, dude. <laughs> oh, <laughs> dude, no, a- for sure. <laughs> well, the, the Bible says be fruitful and multiply, <laughs> brother. You're you guys surpassed that one. <laughs> so so they were very fruitful and they do they wanted to multiply, you know, and and, yeah. and, and they did their thing. So I'm just um blessed to be alive, to be on your um platform and just tell tell my story of how my mother just made history by birthing 21 children by my father. And a lot of people can't, can't believe it. You know, one man having all of these children by one woman. Yes, it did. It really did happen. And so I'm just blessed to be a part of this um, tremendous um, blessing lineage. Mm. So I'm just, I'm just, I'm just really, really, I'm just um, happy. Very, very happy. Yeah, for sure. For sure, man. I was going to ask you, Lamar, and this is just on my mind now, just because this is a podcast about fathers and families and stuff. I know what it takes to raise children. We have three children or myself, you know what I mean? Both my wife and I, and they're not cheap. What did your father do for a living? If you don't mind me asking. My father worked at Bale City first shift, and he worked at um, Case Manufacturing. My father was a production worker at both of those um, companies. Uh, my mother had worked a part-time job at that uh, particular time when I was mm-hmm. um, growing up, but my father was a very hard worker. And on the weekends, what my father would do, on, especially on Saturdays, he will um, come um, on Saturdays, he would get us up, clean up, uh, make sure that uh, we had our clothes on, uh, made sure that we had our haircuts. And most importantly, we played games. We played kickball together. 
We play um, soccer together. We uh, play volleyball against each other. My father made sure that we were outside in the community. So it's a little different now from today's, you know, from, from, from when I grew up because they made sure that we stayed outside and we were doing something in our environment, in our community. Mm-hmm. And so it's, 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 it was a great time to be raised by my father and also by my mother as well. Man, I caught the tail end of that. I was born in 78, the late seventies. Right. And, um, and I remember just growing up in the eighties and you would stay outside until, you know, the second streetlight came on or whatever, because we didn't, we didn't wear watches and that's how we knew to come inside, you know, and you're absolutely right. Uh, to come inside was a punishment, <laughs> you know? So man, those days are, are gone. Unfortunately, um, they say that the new generation generation alpha is more <laughs> like the generation Xers and they're yeah. the ones who are staying outside and stuff like that. I think it's kind of interesting how history repeats itself. You know what I'm yep. saying? So yes. that's always a, that's always a, a plus. You know what I mean? Let's see. I'm I'm excited to see what this new generation is going to produce. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, now, what I've read about you and seen about you on and a lot of your uh, interviews and stuff like that, you always talked about how your childhood was filled with poverty and neglect and tragedy. Can you go into that and? Tell us how you found the strength and resilience to overcome all those challenges, if you don't mind. Yes, yes. Uh, It was very difficult because Mm -hmm. my father passed away in a horrific car crash when I was eight years old. Mm. So my mother had to become um, the leader, the commander in chief and step up to to the plate and also a lot of my siblings. And so anytime that your one of your parents are had passed away um it's going to be very difficult on a family like 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 myself you know mm-hmm. and um it really kind of hurt the family um but the community i must say this we went through a lot of suffering um lack of food um lack of clothes uh i remember a time where the the gas the heat were disconnected the electricity were disconnected and mm-hmm. so it was people in the community that came to our aid when we were down in in out and 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 I, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart mm-hmm. i appreciate the people that came to our aid when we were down and out i remember a time when we didn't have any christmas gifts But you know what? A knock at the door revealed unexpected gifts from unexpected people. And this was during Christmas time. This was during Easter time and also during Thanksgiving time. The people in the city of Racine, Wisconsin, has always been good to the Hunter family. So we may not have you know, a lot of things like a typical family and we may have suffered, but you know what? The community made sure that we had food on our table each and every night in the neighborhood. There was times when we didn't have food in our house, but we would go next door 
to Mother Jones' house, or we will go down the street to Sister South's house, and they will feed us like we were their own children. So, so the community, the community was a blessing. Yes, we had suffered, but it did not define who we are as human beings. We did not let tragedy stop us. We did not let hardship stop us because we knew in our hearts that our purpose has always been bigger than our circumstances. Mm, mm, man, that's beautiful to see that, you know, um, it, it's crazy because in the earliest days of humanity, our brains have been wired, right? Or programmed to live in close proximity to others, right? And in that close proximity, you know, we've learned to share food and tools and to protect each other. And you see that with like out here where I live in California, it, it's like that in our neighborhood, right? But it's very, very culturally diverse. I mean, we have people from India, people from China, all these different cultures, and it's just big melting pot, you know, and it, it, it's not uncommon for them to come to your house and say, hey, man, we got extra food here. You know what I mean? And it's it's crazy, you know what I mean? Because I didn't grow up like that. You know what I mean? But it's good to see that the city of Racine welcomed you with open arms, I guess, in your family and during those uh, times that you had to go through. You know what I mean? If, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And, and let, let me say this. Um, um, I remember a time that um, I was seven years old at that particular time. Mm -hmm. My mother. um we were living on Randolph Street, and so my mother had to go to church that night, and my father had requested her not to go, but my mother went anyways, and my father went out and did his thing also, but later on that night, the house caught on fire, mm. and when the house caught on fire, my brother was able to get everybody out except my brother Thomas and myself. So the fireman came in. They was trying to revive my brother, Thomas. And he said, we have to get out of here. If we don't get out of here, we are going to burn. So the fireman grabbed me and grabbed my brother, took us down the steps. And fire was just everywhere, everywhere. So my mother is so old fashioned. It's the way she grew up in Vicksburg, Mississippi. So yeah. she had these two garbage containers. One was filled with flour. The other was filled with sugar. So they dumped both of them out in place, me and one and my brother and one. And they ran and burst right through the window. And so um, I survived. A couple of days later, my, my brother had uh, passed away. And I remember clearly it was thousands, thousands of people that lined up to say goodbye to my brother, Thomas. I never saw a lone funeral in my whole entire life. I never saw the community just weep and cried and, you know, and came out for my brother's funeral. Mm -hmm. that, that I think at that particular time, that funeral lasts at least about a good five to six hours. But, mm -hmm. you know, uh, you know, that death right there really shook my mother. It really shook my 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 father as 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 well. But uh we were able to overcome that and mm -hmm. uh, and move forward uh, in life. 
man, my condolences. I know how it is to lose a brother. I lost a younger brother uh, in 2020. Mm. Uh, He's my baby brother. So I know that pain all too well, you know, and parents should never have to, to bury their children. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. I wanted to ask you, Paul, why do you think like what, what, what set apart that community that you're at? Like, was it a big religious community or what created that environment to where everybody was just so giving and just so open and receptive like that? What do you think? I think, I think that it was a community that wanted to work together, know mm-hmm. each other, um, um, break bread with each other, mm-hmm. um, uh, wanted to look out for each other and spend time with each other and just grow as a community and grow as a family. Uh, I remember a time when I had said something smart to Mrs. Jones. Mrs. Jones had spanked me and said, boy, when your parents get home, I'm going to tell your, your, your parents. And mm-hmm. when my parents got home, guess what? My mother spanked me. My daddy spanked me. And I never did that again. But it was the best community because we all looked out for each other. And mm-hmm. that's the community that we need today to look out for each other, to have each other backs. We need that. We really do. No, I agree with you 100%, Paul. Um, have you been able to find a community like that in all your travels? I, I know you're living in San Antonio. Uh, how does that differ from where you grew up right now? Very detached. Detached, um, okay. Yeah, very, very detached. So I'm 52 years old. Mm-hmm. So when you deal with people that's younger than you, they do not want to have anything to do with their neighbors. They don't want to know their neighbors whatsoever. You understand? They want to do their own thing. You can't say good morning, good afternoon. You understand? They look at you like you're crazy. But I notice when you're dealing with people in their 50s and 60s and 70s, okay, they want to talk to you. They want to engage and have a conversation with you. You know, my my next door neighbor, she's been living in, in her place for over 40 years. You understand? I know her. She texts me. She calls me. She's 65 years old. You understand? Yeah. Yeah. When I, when, when I go out of town, I let her know, Hey, I'm going out of town. Can you check on, check on my place? Oh yes. No, no problem. No problem. She does the same thing, you know, with, with me. You understand? Mm-hmm. Hey, Paul, can you go grab my, um, my mail? And, and, and once you grab my mail, could you put it in the house? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, yeah. it's totally, it's totally different now, you know? Walking down the street, you know, uh, hey, good morning, good afternoon. They don't say nothing to you at all. So it's mm-hmm. it's it's to, it's just a totally different generation. I, I call it a detached generation. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, for sure. <laughs> no, I agree with you. It's definitely detached. I wonder, my question is, though, why did it get like, where was the separation? Where did the detachment take place to where it went from open community? beautiful, you know, making connections like in your case to where, I mean, gosh, I'm only eight years younger than you. And man, I grew up where it was always, you're always wondering what, like if someone was nice to you, 
it was like, okay, so what's the agenda? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It was almost like very street savvy, like, like always looking at like, what, okay, where's the angle here? What do they want? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and we, we, we never did question, um, question that. And, mm-hmm. um, I think what happened is that the older generation mm-hmm. did not pass down those core values, mm-hmm. did not pass down the core values of, of getting to know your neighbors, um, having empathy, having dignity, having compassion, showing stewardship. You know, <laughs> yeah. they did not pass down any of those, um, core values. So that's the reason why. A lot of the, these young people lack those core values and lack communication. And mm-hmm. you can, you can see it. Uh, you can be in the same house with them and uh, try to have a conversation with them. They will rather uh, pick up the cell phone and text you. <laughs> yeah. Instead, yeah. Of, instead, of, instead of having a conversation with you, you know, and saying, Hey, this is what's going on. So it's, it, I think that we have failed the 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 generation but but there's nothing wrong with failure i always mm-hmm. believe that we can always go back mm-hmm. and we can always retrain i agree 100 percent. we didn't get here overnight and uh it takes us raising the next generation with those certain core values um i had a conversation with another gentleman and we were discussing about how in the past in the industry that i'm in being a lineman um the old men would bring their coffees to work and they would have their, their old uh, green canisters. Right. And they would open <laughs> yeah. them up and they, they would have the little paper cups and they'd pour everybody a, a cup of coffee, you know, and we'd, we'd drive out to the right, the right away. This is before helicopters would fly us out there and you'd have to drive down these dusty old rightaways or bumpier than hell. Right. We'd get there when the sun's coming up, you take out your tools, they'd bring out their coffee, everybody would get around, they would be talking, the old men would be smoking their cigarettes and stretching and getting ready for that sun to come up so we could start climbing and doing whatever work we needed to do on the transmission line. And uh, it was cool. Nowadays, you don't see that. Nowadays, you have guys, everybody disconnected, they get the tailboard if they get one, right? And yep. then what do they do? They go right to their phones and they're sitting on on, on the phone scrolling right no one's talking with anybody no one's interested in anything just all about all right let's get this done so i can go home early that's what it's all about yep Mm -hmm. so it's crazy you know and i agree with you 100 percent. you know we didn't get here overnight so we got to raise that next generation for sure i believe that and we can do it we can do it we have the resources and we have some smart leaders um, in our society, and we can make it happen. Mm. Now, you lost your father, right? That is the head of the household. That is your rock. That is the protector, the provider of your home. You know, how did that shape your life, losing your father like that? And what did you have to well, go through? I tell you what, I experienced mm-hmm. very difficult times when I. Mm found out that my father had passed away it's like i grew with so much anger so much resentment um i envy people that will have their father take them to school their father show up for um conferences 
their father takes them to the movie there. Their father will participate in throwing the football and basketball. And, you know, I only had eight years with with my father. So when my father passed away, um, I was eight. My father was 42 years old and it's just really devastated me. And I took all of that anger and I went to school with it. And I was a uh, I was uh, disruptive during class and 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 acting out in the school because I was angry. You got to understand that my brother passed away. And um, when I was seven, then when I turned um, eight years old, my father. So those back to back um, adversities uh, made me into a mean spirited person. I didn't care. You know, I just was just angry, upset, you know, going to school and fighting my classmate because my father was out of my life and I just wanted some love and I just wanted my father to be there, but my father was gone. He was gone, but uh, my older brothers and sisters um, stepped up to the plate mm-hmm. and really helped me out in a in a tremendous way because uh, without them, I would not be here today. And and sitting and talking with them, they became like a, my brothers, they became like a substitute dad to me. Mm. They really did. Gave me some guidance, gave me some discipline, um, gave me some structure. You understand it? And I know yeah. it was a lot for them, and but they did the best that they could. And to, as, as of today, I, I have a great relationship with my siblings and also a great relationship with my older brothers. And so we still talk today and I still listen to them, even though they older than me. And I'm, I could, I could say I'm a grown man, but I don't know everything, but um, yeah. I still listen to them and, and hear, and hear them out, but I make my own decision. But I thank God for my older brothers for just giving me that discipline and structure and, and, and guidance. Mm-hmm. And I was able over the years, you know, I was able to transform into a loving, kind, sweet, articulate young man, because I did not want to go to my grave with resentment, with anger, um, with uh, so much um, difficulties Mm -hmm. on the inside of me. I did not want to go to my grave. So I was able to purge out uh, resentment, purge out animosity, purge out the woman that um, that hit my father and, and murdered my father, I had to let it all go to become the person that I am today. And so a lot of people don't understand the power of forgiveness. When you begin to let go of things, you begin to grow as an individual. Man, we just did a forgiveness uh, um, series. And man, it was so powerful, brother. There's so many people that are holding on to that junk, you know, mm-hmm. and I always tell people that unforgiveness is like taking a pill of poison, right? Yeah. And expecting someone else to die. It only hurts you. And what I got to say for those who are still harboring unforgiveness towards someone or something, you know, let it go. You're only hurting yeah. yourself. 
you know, forgiveness is not fair and it's not just, but it is for you. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I like to look at unforgiveness like this trap that we're in, right? We're in this, this holding cell, this holding pattern, and we're the ones with the key and we refuse to turn it. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I'm glad that you brought that up because my mother passed away four years ago. Mm, and I, rem- I remember seven years ago that my mother had called me and I didn't want to pick up the phone, but I picked up the phone and I talked to my mother for about three hours. And my mother had told me that she may not have been the perfect mom. Mm -hmm. She made mistakes, but she had asked for forgiveness. And I remember that day talking to my mom. I learned that I had to let everything go because my mother could not give what she didn't have. Mm -hmm. So I let it go. I let it go. And I tell some of my um, sisters and brothers that you have to let it go because if you do not let it go, you're going to be a victim running around here and saying that I'm not successful because of my mom. I'm not successful because of my dad. I'm not be successful because I didn't graduate high school. I used to tell them that all the time. You have to let it go. It will kill you. It will destroy you as a human being. Let it go. And a lot of them were able to let it go, just like I was able to let it go. I have four children myself. I have a beautiful granddaughter. I tell my kids all the time, I'm not perfect, but I'm striving for perfectionist. I will make mistakes, but I learn in the process that, hey, it's about forgiving and moving on. And that's what I do. Mm. And I, I was able to forgive uh, my mother, you know, mm. and let it go. And, and, for the last couple of years, uh, my mother and I had really had grown as a person. And she always wanted me to call her and just talk on the phone. And I would just call my mother and have a conversation with my mom. Mm. And that was great. That was great. That was really great. I bet and it was I miss- ring, huh? Yes, 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 yeah. Mm. Yes. Yes. Mm. No. Um. I'm glad that you said that you didn't allow you allow it to define you as a victim, because I think, Paul, that that's where we're at a lot in society today. I think a lot of people have been shown and have developed a victim mindset, and it gives them an excuse to act a certain way without making changes. You know, because everything's an excuse, right? I can't change because of this. I can't do this because of this. You know, and, and that that's that's a cop out. You know, <laughs> what, what they've done is they've gone comfortable in in what they're doing. That's it. You know, instead of taking the high road and and making the changes to 
not continue the the generational curse that goes passed down from father to son to father to son. You know, they say what walks in fathers runs in sons. Mm-hmm. You yes, know, yes. so we definitely need to break that unforgiving spirit for sure. Yeah, yeah, and, and a lot of people need to st- like you said need to stop being the victim. Um, uh, this individual had told me. She's uh, she's from Africa and and it really bothers me because she will always say, you know, I grew up in Africa and I was poor and now I'm in America. I'm poor. I'm poor. I'm poor. And I'm like. You poor, but you have a good job, but you have a car, (laughs) you know, you have food on your table. And I had to educate her. I said, you got to be thankful for what you have. Be mm. thankful because what God has given you is 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 an opportunity to manage what you have. And if he sees that you can manage what you have, he's going to bless you with more. Because mm. now now you now you have learned to manage what you have. But don't complain about it. Be grateful. Be grateful. And I had to explain to her that, you know, we had to sleep on floors. We didn't have beds in our house. We had to sleep on the floor. Mm-hmm. We never complain. We never complain sleeping on the floor. We never complain getting up in the morning, eating beans and cornbread for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And then sometimes we have cereal, not with milk, but we would have cornflakes and we would have the cornflakes with pure water. Do you understand that? Yeah, yeah. So never complain about your situation. I am grateful that I have a place to lay my head. I am grateful that I have a job. I am grateful that God woke me up this morning in my right mind. I'm grateful that I have good health. You know, I I can go around and say, oh, I grew up poor. I grew up poor. No, yes, I grew up poor, but it did not define who I am as a person. I am blessed. I am talented. I am gifted. I am loving. I am kind. I am a visionary. I am smart. I am beautiful. I am gorgeous. I don't have the victim mentality. So people, if you are listening to this interview, stop with the victim mentality and become victorious. Absolutely. And it takes that mind shift too, just gratefulness, right? Yes. I mean, if they can if they can change the uh the paradigm. Man, they can soar. They can really soar. They say right now that you are rich in America if you have running water because the rest of the world doesn't have that, right? Um, Yes. Very few places have running water. You know, very few places have vehicles. You know, they're having to walk five miles with water on their head, (laughs) you know what I mean, through war-torn countries to, to bring water home that is potable or that they can drink. You know, so it's it's crazy the mindset that people have always complaining. Oh, if I would have just stayed here, or if I would have stayed there, we didn't ask to come here or whatever. You know what I mean? Or they took our land or all, all these different things that have happened in the past. You know, um, it's unfortunate and crazy that that happened. And it's awful. A lot of the stuff that has happened to people in the past. Right. Different cultures yes. and everything. But man, don't let that define you. That's not who God's called you to be. 
You know, you are a living example, dude, living example of someone who is just so gracious and man. And I got to tell you what, Paul, dude, God's going to do great things, even mightier things in your life, bro, because you are so gracious and grateful, you know? Yeah. And and see, I'm glad that you, you you have said that because, um, I am humble. I I Mm. am one humble um, person, you know, just imagine, um, growing up in a big family like I did, uh, and becoming an adult and not using, um, excuses. And you have this, um, this attitude that things are going to get better. You have a, a, a can do attitude that things will get better, that life is my life is going to be full with greatness. You know, mm-hmm. God is going to open up doors that, uh, that men cannot shut. And, and, and I have seen that, man. I seen people told me no. And on this journey that I'm on, I understood that people was going to tell me no. But I told myself, God, all I need is one person to say yes. One person to say yes. And one person said yes. And that was Ebony Magazine. Ebony Magazine had said yes that they were going to profile my story, my brother. While mm. everybody else said no. Everybody was saying no, 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 no. And then I had my haters telling me you should give up. But when Ebony said yes, they would do the story, it worked out fine because it opened up other doors for people to profile my story. So I was able to take that clip and that link and share it with other potential newspaper, magazine publications that want to do my story. So when you go to my website and you see, you click on the media tab, you will see that everybody on there told me, yo, no, but they came back and said yes. So what I had learned, not to trust Paul Lamar Hunter's timing, but to trust the almighty God's timing. <laughs> Man, that, that's amazing, brother. Now, you definitely have a deep root of faith and you have a relationship with Jesus. Where did you learn that? Was that from your mom? You said she's the one that went to church, right? Yeah, my mom, my mom, mom. Is 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 very charismatic. Uh, okay. My mom on Wednesdays we will have Bible studies. <laughs> my dad would be there, but you know at, at times. But uh, on Wednesday it was it was Bible study. Uh, on Thursday it was choir practice. Mm. Um, Sunday we would get up in the morning. Uh, my siblings, older siblings, would go in the kitchen with mom and dad. And uh, prepare the meals. And so we had these. Uh, you remember the Brady Bunch when they yeah. had the station wagon? We had oh, two yeah. big old station wagons. And so uh, <laughs> after they prepared the meal, we were getting those two station wagons and we were head to, to church. <laughs> wow. And then after church, uh, Pastor Jackson would come over, sit at the table, pray, and we would all eat. And all of my uh, siblings and, and and my mom and dad, they would have the Green Bay Packers game on, and we just sitting there, you know, eating and having a conversation and 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 watching the game. And so, um, 
it was good to um, learn a lot from my mom and also to learn a lot um, from from my dad. So uh, Bible study and choir practice and learning um, to play the drums, learning to play the bass, learning to play the guitar. My mom wanted us to play every instrument because what she was doing, looking back on it, she was preparing us for life. Mm. That's Man. all. She was just preparing us for life. Man, it's, <laughs> it's it's crazy to see that her influence was so strong in you guys, you know, to where it, it influenced you for the better, you know? Yeah. 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 That, yes, that's, the, that's the importance of a, of a, a parent, right? Who is engaged and is mm-hmm. being, you know, um, deliberate with what she's doing, you know? So my hat's off to her, man, because it's a hard role to fall into when a father is gone. Yes, it is. It's, it's, it's really is. Now, many people face adversity, right? Um, I know for myself, when I face adversity and, and, and different trials and stuff like that in my own life, you know, I struggled with self-doubt and even limiting beliefs. How did you manage to overcome these internal obstacles, brother, and kind of cultivate that mindset of empowerment, you know, to, to be successful? I, I had some great mentors in my life. Mm. Mm. Uh, Brother Mike, uh, a renowned attorney, mm-hmm. uh, great man, uh, pastors, school teachers, professors uh, came into uh, not only my life, but some of my siblings' lives. And they helped um, shape us. They helped mold us to be the people that we are today. Uh, mm. You're looking at a guy that had very low self-esteem. You're looking at a guy that thought he was ugly. And because I was picked on when I was when I was a kid and I went to school, uh, they used to say that I had big eyes, I had big lips, and that I was ugly. I looked like a frog. Let me tell you this, brother. I was able to get in the mirror every day. And I used to look in that mirror and say that I'm beautiful. I'm gorgeous. I'm bright. I'm smart. I have beautiful lips. I have beautiful eyes. Let me tell you something. Those words I used to say Mm -hmm. became a part of me spiritually. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I feel about myself. My confidence, my self-esteem went to a higher level. So when people say something negative about me, I know who I am. Yeah. I know who I am. I was built by my mom. I was built by my dad. I was built by the community. I was built by mentors. So they can't tear me down. They can't put me down. This is who I am now. Paul Lamar Hunter, a confident, bright, intelligent man. Mm. It's interesting to see that all that pouring into all that love, all that that um, training, I should say, that they gave you and then pouring into you, how much it's changed you, you know, oh, it's for you to be able to difficult or, or to to navigate through your circumstances, you know, it, it changed, it changed me a lot. It really did because you, you have a guy that have compassion. You have a guy that want to go out and change the world. You have a guy that's 
um, that's a basketball coach that's pouring into young men and young women lives now, being a mentor, going to the boys and girls club and sharing my story, uh, where I came from, the importance of education. Don't let your your parents or your circumstances or or bad luck define who you are as a person. So I'm always out in the community because I want to see people lives transform. I really want to see people lives transform because I want them to know it doesn't matter that you down today mm-hmm. because things can change dramatically. Let me tell you this story. I remember that I went for an interview. Mm-hmm. And it was four candidates in the interview and they was looking for somebody with a bachelor's degree. So all four of us had bachelor's degree, but they did not get the, they did not give any of us the job. They lowered the expectation. And so I called the lady that set up the interview and mm-hmm. I was like, they really lowered the expectation. She said, yeah, but she said, young man, you never, you never know when things are going to change. Those words penetrated my forehead. And still to this day, I have that. You never know when things are going to change. <laughs> and, yeah. and, and, and people that are listening to this interview going through some difficult time, keep the faith because you never know when things are going to change. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I always like to tell young men that this is just a season you're going through. I, I know it seems like it's forever and it's going to last forever, but just like the sun rises and sets every day, it's going to pass, right? Yes. As a beginning and an end. And you got to just focus on that, just getting through, you know, um, putting one step in front of the other, you know, there's a Bible quote or, or a scripture that I really like. It says that the Lord is a lamp unto my feet, Right. He's not a lamp in front of you, illuminating your darkest times. He's a light right there at your feet, showing you the next step you should take. You know, and I think that's beautiful because a lot of times when we're in these situations where we feel like we can't go on, right? Yes. God is shining that light at your feet for the next step. Just to believe, just take that one. It's just another step, just another step. Come on. You got this. And I think more people need to hear that. I do. And, and, and you are absolutely right. You know, take that, take that other step. And I remember the first time that I attended upper mm-hmm. Iowa university and I looked at my past and I'm walking into an institution and I told myself one step at a time. Mm-hmm. And I said, there's only one direction that I can go and that's up. So in 2012, I went up because I became the first in my family to graduate from college with a bachelor's of science in business administration from Upper Iowa University. So history was made. When I say history was made, history was made because I had to discover, you know, my family lineage, my mom's lineage, my dad lineage. No one never graduated college. So the odds was against me. But my mentality told me, 
the hell with the odds. I'm going to do this. I'm going to be the first to graduate from college. I'm going to be the first to lay the foundation for the Hunter family. And I was able to do that. And I did it in 2012 by graduating from Upper Iowa University. And when I say I laid that foundation, man, I laid that foundation so well, so good enough that now my nieces and nephews are graduating college with bachelor's and master's and they working on their PhD degree. See, somebody in the family has to lay the foundation. But yeah. while they lay in that foundation, guess what? They're going to experience some difficult times, but they're going to mm -hmm. keep pushing. They're going to keep moving because they know that the purpose is bigger than the circumstances. Mm -hmm, definitely. And resilience is built through, uh, you know, is often built through learning from failure and setbacks. Right. So you definitely yes. just looking back, you know, from the outside, looking into your life and what you're saying now. I see all these different little circumstances that you have to go, you know, some big, some small, all these different setbacks. Right. And they were preparing you to set that foundation. Right. So when you got there, it's like, man, I got this. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, so that, that's, that's really cool. And I'm, it's awesome to see that mindset, you know, because so many people are quit or, 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 quick to quit you know they they face a little obstacle in their life ah that's not for me ah that's not for me right yes. even with marriage dude we see marriages today <laughs> um oh we're not getting along oh you know i i, I ir ir irreconcilable differences right that's the yep. one of the number one things that most people get divorced for meaning they just could solve their problems together you know what i mean <laughs> and it's like yes. they're so quick to quit. And it's like, man, we need a generation of resilience, you know, and stop trying to go from A to C and, and skip B, you know, it's all about that journey. One of my good friends, uh, Mike, he always tells me, he's like, I'll oh, pay attention to the process that you're going through. Everything's a process. Every single thing, pay attention to the little details that are happening in your life. And once he told me that, man, I started looking and I'm like, oh, okay. Wow. Now I understand why I had to go through that. You know, because mm -hmm. hindsight's 2020, but and I know you can't see it when you're going through it, you know what I mean? But once you you get through it, because nothing lasts forever, and you start looking back, then you can start being like, Oh, okay, now I see what that purpose was for. You know? Mm-hmm. Yep. Now, as someone who has overcome significant challenges, what advice do you have for others who may be facing their own obstacles and feeling stuck or defeated, brother? You know, uh, I always tell people to take a time out. Mm. Breathe. Just breathe. Relax. I know that you may be facing some difficult times, some hardships some struggles in your finances, some struggles in your marriage or your relationship or struggle with your, with your children, just take a time out. And, you know, as a, as a former basketball coach, I always used to tell my kids, listen, no matter what happened, we're going to take a time out. We're going to regroup. Mm -hmm. So I remember a time when I was coaching a game and we were in a critical championship game to win the championship. 
we were down. We beat this team in the regular season, by the way, by 18 points. But before the game, my superstar came up to me. He said, Coach, we're going to beat them again by 18 points. And I said, not today. Not today. He said, why, Coach? I said, today is the day that they are going to be over-prepared for us. But we will win by one, two, or three points. That's it. Mm. So the message is, take a time out, like I told my kids. And I told them this. This is our opportunity. This is our moment to come back and shock the world. This is our time. This is our championship. Let's go out and win it. We came back and won the game by one point. Wow. The message is never give up. Have that can-do attitude. Stay positive and go out and win, 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 win. That's it. Take that time out and just regroup. Breathe and regroup and come up with a better plan. I like that you told him, you know, because he he probably was feeling very confident, right? Going in the championship, you guys had already smoked him, you know, 18 <laughs> points, right? And he was feeling pretty cocky, you know what I mean? Uh, no, it's good that you gave him that humility, you know, you you brought him back down a notch, you know, because I've seen so many teams and I, I even see this now um, with the football team at the high school that my daughter goes to. We're constantly in the top five in the nation for football, constantly. Southern California's mm. football is insane, right? Um, and we're a public school, so it's not like we're drafting kids like one of the uh, like one of the many private schools that are around us that are number one or three in the nation, right? So we're constantly playing with these kids and everything, and it's crazy because I see them. Um, They'll be blowing kids out of the water 60, 70 points a game, right? And this is football, mind you, okay? That's a lot of points, man. But, man, you get a team out there that does not want to quit and doesn't give up and doesn't get down on themselves, you start seeing them kids crumble. And it's like, man, they need to work on the resiliency. You know what I mean? They got so used to blowing other teams out of the water when a team gives them a little adversity, they don't know how to handle it. You know, and I think that's what we need to emulate to our children, how to handle adversity as fathers. Yes. Yes. You know? Yes. Because a lot of time they get frustrated. You know, a lot of the the boys and girls that I had coached in the past, I still have a relationship with them. They still call me. You know, they young men and young women, they still call me. They talk to me. And I'm now I'm just a, a mentor uh, um, to them. And um, I want to see them grow as young men and, and, and young women. I want them to, to be productive. A lot of them are productive. A lot of them are school teachers, engineers. <laughs> you understand? They have yeah. they have their careers now and, 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 and parents now. And it, it's good to see them um, evolve into the person that God wants them to be. Mm. As a mentor and a coach and all the different hats that you wear, Paul, um, in your opinion, right, what are some of the key factors that you've seen that differentiate uh, those who rise above their circumstances from those who remain trapped in a a victim mentality? What have you seen? What I've seen is the ones that uh, 
want to leave the victim mentality alone are the ones that are being attached to successful men and women that's given them um, guidance and structure. You know, they don't want to have that victim mentality like some of their family members. So they yeah. have to break away. They want something better for them. They want something better for their children. You understand? So they yeah. have to break away. You know, uh, I had to break away from some of my siblings. Do you understand that? In yeah. order for me to grow. So that's the difference is they are breaking away because they want a better life. They want peace. They want joy. They want happiness. You understand? Mm -hmm. They don't want frustration. They don't want the victim mentality. You understand? They yeah. don't want to play. They don't want to play the race card. You understand? Yeah. <laughs> the reason why yeah. I didn't get the job because of this. You know, what I'm saying? they don't want that. So they separate themselves with positive men and women that are moving up in the world that mm -hmm. can help them and develop them. That's the difference. Wow. So it is the old adage that my father used to say is you are who you hang with. You know, my, my, my old man used to tell me, he's like, show me who your friends are and I'll show you who you are. And, and I believe that's absolutely true. You know what I mean? If you're hanging around with a bad crowd, guess what? Eh, that's going to rub off on you. You know what I mean? Yeah. And here I am. I'm 52 years old. Okay. Yeah. I never did hung with people that did drugs and alcohol, but a lot of my brothers and sisters, they mm. did that. I never did do that. So what your father was saying is very true. <laughs> Man, we, we just finished the podcast that we just aired uh, this week. And the guy talked about uh, rejection, right? Rejection junkies. Great man. Super smart. Great podcast. Um, but he talked about that rejection, right? It's it, besides it being a, a core belief and stuff like that. He also said that people want to drain you and you have to make that choice to stay away from them draining people, right? It's a conscious decision that we have to make that, hey, I don't like these people stealing my energy, my joy, and I need to separate. And sometimes a lot of times like you, you know, what I mean, said it could be your family. And you have to make that conscious decision to separate from that because you don't want to live that life. You don't want to be that victim, you know? And that's what, uh, like I stated earlier, mm -hmm. I had to separate myself. I love them, but I have to separate myself because we're not striving for the same goals in life. Yep. I want something better. Um, I don't want to experience what I grew up. So when I started to have kids, I told myself that, uh, that I was going to outlive my kids. Mm -hmm. I was going to take my kids to the park, take them to the zoo, ride bikes with them, do homework with them. I was going to do the things that I could not do with my father because my father passed away when uh, I was eight years old. And so uh, I outlived my father. My father died when I was 42. Here I am. I'm 52 years old. So mm -hmm. it was one of my goals is to outlive my father. And my one of my other goals is to outlive my mother. My mother lived until she was 85 years old. So, uh, uh, you know, I, I'm just blessed that I was able to 
be a part of my children's life and to cultivate a winning attitude in their lives. Mm. Man, that's beautiful, brother. Well, Lamar, how can someone reach out to you, get a hold of your, you know, any information from you if they want to talk to you or anything like that? I'd like to give this opportunity to for you to share it to our audience if you don't mind. Well, they first of all, they can go out and purchase my book. The title mm-hmm. of my book is No Love, No Charity, The Success of the 19 Child. Uh, that book is available at Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble Bookstore. Also, they can get my mother's book, Love and Charity, The Life Story of Louise Hunter in the Love and Charity Homeless Shelter. That book is available um, on Amazon and also Barnes and Noble. But let me say this, both books has been adapted into a screenplay. We have signed a deal with uh, uh, Tail Flick uh, Pictures. So we are excited about that. If you want to visit my website, please go to my website, paullamarhunter.com, paullamarhunter.com. I am on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Paul Lamar Hunter. Mm. Well, once again, Paul Lamar Hunter, thank you so much for coming on here and just sharing your tremendous story of adversity and overcoming it, not being a victim. Um, I know it's going to bring tremendous value to our audience, and I just want to thank you, brother. You are welcome, my friend. God bless.